0: this is Carpe Diem, Make Your Game, where I, and hopefully all of you listeners, get to learn how to become a dungeon master.
1: Hi, I'm Alexei Othen and Gerard, Meredith's co-host, with us is our... Other co-host, Chris Hockabout. Hello, hello.
2: Happy (laughs) to be
0: here once again. And our special guest, Dan Abbott, um, a dungeon master at large, semi-professional for hire at...
3: Random Encounters Metadimensional Travel Agency.
0: And also from the bands The Hobo Goblins and Bobby Joe Ebola and the Children McNuggets. (laughs) That is correct. Very
2: nice.
1: You may have heard his dulcet tones
3: (laughs) once or twice. Deep in the night, (laughs) and possibly some of my lesser dulcet tones. Oh, okay, yeah.
0: This week we're quasi dulcet (laughs) tones. This week we're talking about monsters. Yep. uh, And the monster of the week of the monster episode, which is the ogre zombie or the zombie ogre. It's either it's fine.
1: They go by either. It's it's cool. Yeah.
0: So one is not really modifier. Of the other, of depending... The, no, yeah, they're
1: both like, it, you know, do you ogrefy... Well, you yeah. definitely zombify an ogre. <laughs> but so you don't
0: ogrefy a zombie. You don't
1: really ogrefy a zombie. That's a different process. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which
3: bathroom do you hide in from the ogre zombie?
2: <laughs> well, ultimately, necromancers are very green. They recycle everything. Yeah. So they look at a dead, you know, they look at it a, as an ogre's corpse, and they don't see a corpse. They, they see potential. They see potential. Yeah, exactly.
3: You, you can't say necromancy without romance. Exactly. That is also true. Very true. Although,
1: now that we've started talking about it, now I kind of want to make an ogremancer whose ability is to ogrefy things. <laughs> so... Wait,
0: so wait, what's a...
1: A necromancer is yeah. a death mage. Oh, okay. A, so who does so death some, magic. A,
0: a blanky mancer right. would uh, yes. be someone who... Does brings, that type of bringing things to life?
2: Well, uh, conquering yeah, death.
0: Is
1: yeah, necromancer specifically. So is an, necro means death. So right.
0: But no. But what does mancer mean? So are you oh, just are you bringing uh, it to life? No, no. Or you... no manser
1: means uh, uh magic. it's yeah, it's from a root that means like practitioner of. Uh, or so. Or a magic yeah. Condition. So historically, yeah. Uh, there
4: were there
3: there were necromancers who were mostly diviners mm-hmm. in, in uh, Mesopotamia. Yeah. Uh, all all the way up to fairly recent times, there were there were people who used death and its special properties to divine the future. You know, to, um,
1: boil a tortoise in its shell and, and sacrifice read the, an animal
3: and reap right. the spurting of its entrails. You know.
1: Okay. Haruspexy is the technical term.
3: Yeah.
0: So
1: monsters, right? Monsters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is sort okay. of a continuation of yeah, NPCs, sort
1: of. So, so last week we talked. You know, for the last couple weeks we've been talking about NPCs. So we've been talking about this idea of kind of filling your world with with life, with uh, you know other play, other people for your players to interact with, mm-hmm. and an important part of D anD D is to have some of the some of the beings that your players are going to interact with will be hostile and monstrous. Uh, and so monsters give a lot of the flavor uh, to a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Mm. And picking good monsters and thinking about what's the ecology of the monsters who live in the area, um, can really add a ton of richness to your game. So,
0: And um, I should probably also say that we're going a little bit off our normal sort of following the chapters of the book with right. this one, because in the DMG, there is no monsters chapter.
1: But if we go back, actually, to... I think the best place for us to wind up uh, in terms of following the DMG mm-hmm. is the chapter or the section on encounters. Okay. Um, so that's...
2: Because, you know, in more than just simply talking about monsters as mm-hmm. adversaries, from the standpoint of a dungeon master, you, you should become acquainted with how to craft encounters that range from, you know, a, a really simple little fun combat you can expect the players to Mm. just sort of like trounce them to a very very challenging encounter sort of know what might be too much for the players to handle Mm -hmm.
0: so uh, so this is
1: we're looking at page 81 creating encounters okay Um, so
0: we're kind of using monsters as a tool to teach me how to build an encounter an encounter yeah exactly okay
1: that's a good way to think about it um Um, those two things are, are pretty closely intertwined before we dive into uh, the encounter section in the DMG, let's talk a little bit about the monsters manual. Um, so, as we said, the best book. The, as we said earlier, yeah, yeah. it kind of is the best book, yeah, right? Yeah. It's the That's most fun. That's the book you take to the
2: bathroom to, like, you know, just sort of pour over. Pour over, over drop you know,
3: a deuce. Thank
2: you, Chris. for <laughs>
4: right. that, Well,
0: and, for that.
3: and you can you can enter it at any point, right? Right. You can open up a random page and find out about. Who lives in your magical neighborhood. In your Mm -hmm.
1: magical neighborhood, right. (laughs) Your magical neighborhood is a hook horror. Has a hook horror living there. Um, So every monster in the Monster's Manual has what's called a stat block. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the kind of like parchment colored rectangle that has all those... Numbers. Um, that stat block tells you pretty much everything you need to know about how that monster is going to work mechanically in your game.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about what a stat block is? Is that like sure. a character sheet?
1: It's a, yeah, exactly. It's a block of statistics. Stat is short for statistics. It's a block of statistics that describe that monster. Okay. So let's look at this hook horror. Uh, our hook horror is a large monstrosity and it is neutral. So its size is large, meaning that it's a little bit bigger than a standard human being. Uh, Its type is monstrosity. Monstrosity is a kind of general type for monsters that exist in the world. We don't know where they come from. They aren't created by anyone. They're just monsters. (laughs) Uh, And its alignment is neutral. So a hook horror isn't particularly good or evil. Okay. You know, it's probably, when we get into its intelligence, it'll tell us a little bit more about how smart it is. Mm. But things that are neutral, if they're monsters, are often... Um it often means that they're sort of driven by base instincts. They have they have they don't have a a broader conception of the like
0: So does not have an agenda. Does it say moral. in the yeah. um the monster manual sort of where these might have come from or where they might be found? Sure. So or?
1: so next to the stat block, we have the kind of flavor mm-hmm. of the core. This is a short section that talks about where you might find the monster in play, what its motivations might be, how it fits into a larger ecology. Okay. These are short, but they're really good. They, they're very open-ended. They're basically giving you ideas. Um, so uh, usually the way that they work is you'll have a paragraph of text with a header in bold. And those headers give you you know super reduced uh, explanations of what the monster is. So the Hook horror headers are Echoes in the Dark, Pack Predators... And dedicated clans,
2: and that's one thing I like about the new Monster Manuals. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they sort of started giving you more ways to kind of conceptualize what the monster's role is and in your head, and how it can kind of you can kind of describe to the players and, mm-hmm. and sort of portray it. And, and uh, you know, it comes from you know the old school, which was very sort of very reduced um, descriptions right. of what these creatures were.
1: Actually, we have a we have both the fifth edition Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons Monsters Manual, and the the second edition. Yeah, Dan
0: brought us some uh, yeah. fun books. Tell the, tell everyone what you art. what oh, you man, brought,
2: that guy.
3: Yeah. So uh, I have yeah. in my hands the uh, the Advanced D and D Second Edition Monstrous Manual, mm-hmm. uh, which is right, right. Uh, as opposed uh, to Monster just, Manual. Just about three hundred and eighty pages long.
0: Um, Wait, there's a turtle. Yeah. I just saw a turtle. Yeah, yeah there's
3: yeah. The, yeah, there's a there is a turtle in here. There's there's
1: like a there's like a giant turtle that's an island and it swims around and it has a mountain on its back. I, I didn't, thought it was so original I didn't want to tell you. I, <laughs> I mean it's not like that original. It's, no, it's I mean it.
0: there's like the entire, you know, Discworld <laughs> novels. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh oh by the way, we are not the owners of Dungeons and Dragons. His oh, yeah. uh copyright Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. We do not own it, uh we claim yeah. no ownership. No ownership. Is this is review purposes only. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't
1: sue us. We yeah.
0: probably should have had You don't have I don't have anything you want. Yeah, we probably, we probably
1: should have had a disclaimer like this on all yeah. of the other episodes, but we're just gonna pretend that this one counts for all of those.
0: Yeah, all my all my shit came off of Craigslist free section, so don't <laughs> don't come sue me because it takes forever to go pick that stuff up.
3: <laughs> uh, so it, uh, in any case the monstrous manual from second edition this is what 1992 89 somewhere around there When was mm-hmm.
0: wait when was D&D first put out 70 uh, something 74
3: or... i believe was yeah. the okay. first the first edition um, and then 76 77 it really took off as mm-hmm. a role playing game Um, 74 was
1: Chainmail or?
0: 74 was Chainmail. Chainmail, okay. What's Um, Chainmail?
1: Chainmail was the very first version of the Dungeons and Dragons rules. It was Um, more
0: a
2: miniatures battle game. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so it was. Dungeons and Dragons grows out of the miniatures historical, historical miniature game. sort of war game tradition okay. and chainmail was the the first set of rules that is recognizably what we call now Dungeons and Dragons but it was very much like tactical almost no role-playing stuff yeah. and then evolved
3: so TSR stands for tactical studies rules mm-hmm. there were a bunch of uh, a bunch of history nerds at what University of Wisconsin?
1: Uh, yes, One, Lake, some university, Lake, Lake
3: Geneva, Geneva Wisconsin. Yes. yes. So, so some some university in the Midwest. There were <laughs> there were a bunch of uh, history buffs that would get together in the basements of the university and have these historical uh, setups, uh, war games.
1: reenactments, and they, 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 Battle
3: of Waterloo. Right, um, and they would try different tactical thermoply. stuff. And they would come up with. Rules systems to make those battles make sense, Uh, and at a certain point, they thought, "Well, what if if there's a dragon?" Yeah. Well, well, actually, (laughs) they they had hero units. Yeah. There there was a case where it was uh, the Romans versus the Celts, Mm. and there was a a druid figure Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the Celts, and at one point, some player said, "My druid casts a lightning bolt on the Romans," Mm. and everyone thought it was so cool that they just let it stand. But they didn't have a rule for it. Mm. I thought, well what if we had rules to play individual soldiers mm. on the field? What if they had personalities and backstories and they were heroes
0: and could oh, count on lightning. Rings.
3: The way yeah, the way I heard this, uh,
1: this is very like strongly influenced by um The Lord of the Rings, yeah. which which came out around the same time. And you know, uh, uh, Really? Yeah, 69. I thought, well, yeah. I so, thought
0: Lord of the Rings came out in like like way earlier. No, than no, yeah. sixty
1: nine. Yeah,
0: I am shocked.
1: Nope it's it's a, it Which is, is I, maybe why Led Zeppelin fantasy. was so into it. Right. Right. I yeah. really,
0: I mean, I'm a huge stork, right? Like pretty much. Sure, Listen, yeah. the, and the the I didn't know that. The
1: storkdom are ever vaster yeah. than any of us could
3: swim. Right? Like I
0: know, but I feel like even if you don't know the name of every fish in the sea, you still know that there's sharks in there.
3: Yeah, but yeah, you don't know how deep they swim though. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you
1: don't know that sharks are millions and millions and of And that they years only old. have
0: cartilage. And you this metaphor is really getting. You don't know <laughs> that, that way beneath
3: the sharks there's an aboleth uh, enslaving <laughs> I, sailors I and forcing them Abileth, to. I aboleth and I yeah. can't wait till they're the monster of the used, week. I'm
1: claiming the aboleth if it ever comes up as the monster of the week, I will do the aboleth. Okay. I have used an aboleth as a monster in my oh, so three good. times.
0: They're so good. They're so You know, good. we okay. can just talk about Lots of monsters. Yes. This is the episode. Yeah, this okay. is the episode.
1: But right. let's let's. So Tolkien had just put out Lord of the Rings. There's a bunch of kids in the in a basement. They've all been playing Battle of Waterloo. You know, Celts versus Romans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. At some point, they sort of have this idea: Hey, what if we were the dudes instead of the generals? What if we were, you know, what if instead of being all of the Ents at the Battle of uh, Helms Deep. We were like the plucky was, Hobbit. Yeah, the plucky <laughs> Hobbit. So they build a set of rules to try to um, to try to model that circumstance, mm-hmm. and that set of rules eventually turns into what we now recognize as Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Okay. Uh,
3: so the the second edition mm-hmm. is arguably the the most popular version. I mean, I don't know how fifth popular is, fifth edition
4: is. Fifth is but, really yeah. taken the world yeah. by storm here. Okay. I think I would say
1: that before fifth, it was probably the most popular. Yeah,
3: because second edition had a lot of. But I don't uh, know
1: TSR sales numbers, so yeah. I can't.
3: Right, it went for a good decade. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's it definitely. Same. It's almost certainly the longest running. Uh, oh, I
0: should also mention Dan was my first DM. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. this is an important fact, and that my first playing games ever, well, of Dungeons and Dragons, of any RPG, was. Mm-hmm. Second, second edition. Well, yeah, you think
2: yeah. about second edition AD&D. You know, it, it that was TSR at the height of right, its power. At the height rules. of its power, they, yeah. they had, you know, they had weathered the storm. What's, t- what's the TSR stand for again? Panic. Tactical,
3: tactical
1: Studies Rules. rules. It's not. Yeah. That's not a phrase. That Wizards of
0: the Coast is like a much an more actual. Yeah.
1: yeah. There's. There's. You got that. You got that noun and the prepositional phrase, and it works.
0: But <laughs>
1: Tactical Studies Rules is like. Adjective, noun, noun, in a way, <laughs> adjective, verb, noun, in a way that doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Um,
2: yeah. It's okay. like, uh, well, it's the name you'd expect a bunch of uh, so uh, historical construction guys. Did monsters, imagery, did guys monsters
0: work differently in the various editions? Uh, that's a really good
1: question.
3: Can I see the
0: second yeah. edition oh, sure. monster manual? So
3: just just for reference, here is the hook horror uh, in the second edition monstrous
0: Manual. Since we're talking so much About the hook horse Since I think Alexei Just happened to open To a random page I did actually um, I should describe to you What it looks like I'm not actually going to Like read the description Of what it says in the book Just because I think It might be funnier For me to just say it because, um, okay. So it kind it's of looks Like thing. a Skeksis, uh, That lost both of its hands And is now a pirate With both hooks And nine, then it has nine feet tall. Yeah and have like Big chicken feet Yeah So if you kind of Imagine that And then it's got like A beetle carapace On its butt mm-hmm. This is That's the whole core
1: yeah that's 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 about accurate the the fifth edition one hasn't changed much it's uh it's got a little bit more of a like vulture like an identifiably sort of vulture mm. beak and somehow it also has whiskers um but it also has bony hooks for hands uh and it has kind of chicken-like feet well, more like dinosaur-ish feet mm-hmm. uh, and it still has the big uh the big beetle carapace
2: and it kind of has.
1: Well,
0: mine. I'm looking at second, and Alexei is right. looking at fifth. fifth. Mine. Yeah. Mine is a little bit more chicken. Chicken foot.
4: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I like though that it chunkier. says
0: in here, and I don't know about in fifth, but in second, it says what it smells like, <laughs> and that is, I think, something that is.
3: That that is one thing about second edition that I really appreciated is that um, in all of these, the first couple of paragraphs are devoted to the the appearance. So if you need to describe it in your adventure, uh, suddenly you hear a sound of crashing through the underbrush, or you smell the, the smell of burnt almonds or wh- whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. there's a Here, lot of,
0: having a stroke.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of sensory information mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that you can incorporate into your game without much change. You can, yeah. you can almost lift that text verbatim. And, and put
1: it in your game.
3: And it's kind of neat for your players who have read the the stuff because they, it's giving them little Easter eggs that so, they can pick up on.
1: So this is actually an interesting kind of, like, GM player dynamic element, which is when you introduce a monster into your game, some of your players will have read the DMG cover to cover, right? Mm-hmm. The, or the monster's manual, rather, cover to cover. Like, they, they bought the book, they sit down, they read the whole book... And when you introduce a monster, sometimes as a player, it can be tempting to think, oh, I've read the hook horror, right? I know that, for example, hook horrors have bad eyesight, but they have incredible echolocation. Mm -hmm. So they sense their prey. They can work in absolute darkness, um, and they sense their prey by sound. Now, if your player knows that and they kind of let that influence what their character does, that could give them a big... Uh, a big advantage in that fight, right? If they realize that, oh, if we can deafen the hook horrors, Mm -hmm. suddenly they're helpless or, you know, Mm -hmm. we can can sort of get rid of them. Okay. And so there's a little bit of a, I think there's a little bit of tension between wanting to tip your players off to, hey, this is the monster that you're going to be facing, but also wanting to make sure that there's some surprises.
0: I mean, like what, I know you guys have been playing forever, but... I feel like the collectively
1: cha- over a thousand years yeah. <laughs> between the three of us.
0: So you're not quite an ancient silver dragon, but you wouldn't—you'd be out of puberty for an elf.
3: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who has disturbed my slumber?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, how often are you? Do you bring up a not super common monster, like I'm guessing the hook horror, and your players are like, "I know the weakness."
2: Uh, that hasn't really been my—I mean, well, yeah. it, just in terms of players are you know they're they're caught. Yeah, you know, they're they're aware of certain monster weaknesses, like undead or, or mm-hmm. vulnerable to, to positive energy and mm-hmm. things like that. And and but typically, if you just hit them with the monster, like because mm-hmm. that's a in in terms of what Alexi was getting at was like how you how you uh, present the monster to your players, and how you describe it, mm-hmm. how you set up the encounter, mm-hmm. hit them hard. You know, it's like this amazing hooked appendage comes crashing through the stone wall Uh, and you just see something huge looming in front of you Mm. roll initiative yeah yeah
1: Yeah.
3: if you can if you can
0: roll for initiative just makes me excited when I hear (laughs) it like Uh something good is gonna happen
3: you wanna keep your players a little off guard at least I like to yeah Mm -hmm. I I like to keep my players uh, unsure whether they're going to actually live through the adventure okay Uh, in, in the past I've made my my players roll up auxiliary characters Uh Mm -hmm. just so none of us are that attached like that that if the unthinkable happens and you do fall down a well um, you're you're gonna move on to the next character so you better take care of the character you You have have. Mm -hmm. I
0: played a game like this recently where we each rolled up five characters and Mm -hmm. they were like very very loose Mm -hmm. characters this was um, oh frick what was it Uh, it was the one with Chicken John yeah um, I forget what the system he was using was. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea was, is that you just play super hot and loose with all these characters and just put them all these. And then mm-hmm. om, pretty much every like four other four of them died out of everyone. Like a couple people, like one person had two left, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you really like right. whoever, flesh out the other whoever
1: one. Whoever you left, whoever you were left with, to them, right? you
0: know. But I like that here's, because then there is like a little like, oh, maybe they'll die.
1: Here's a good tip. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna introduce a monster, That's don't say there. you walk into the cavern and on the ceiling of the cavern there are two hook horrors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Your
0: players, if you, you smell you, musty you smell, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Show, if if you just
1: say like there are hook horrors, that will cue your players to think of them as blocks of statistics, right? Okay. Then they're like, then they're just. You know they're they're just numbers to be overcome to get more numbers to make the numbers on your sheet go up and their numbers go down. Mm-hmm.
0: So this is about storytelling. This mm-hmm. game. It's about I'm me. just joking. It about <laughs> yes. so there, there's
3: also on the players' side. There's a question of sort of player ethics, right. I guess, like sort of
1: metagaming. Yeah, and, you
3: might. I refer to it as meta power gaming. Sure. Yeah. Right. Taking taking your uh, your knowledge and putting that in game. Whereas the, there's a certain ethic of you have to ask yourself: Before I take advantage of everything I know about mm-hmm. the Monster Manual, does my character know this? Yeah.
1: And as a DM, if you feel like a player is sort of skirting that line, which some people do accidentally, and some people do a little bit more mm-hmm. intentionally, um, if you feel like a player is skirting that line, don't be afraid to be like, "How do you know that?" That's mm-hmm. it. right. Yeah. How, where does your character? How did your character come up with that oh, information? Oh god, that's
0: a really good point. Like I never, I keep forgetting. To... Ask, ask
1: questions is just yeah. like the number one. Right. Just ask questions of your players.
0: So do you do you find yourself? This is sort of on another tangent, but do mm-hmm. you find yourselves often um, reminding your your players to play in character? Almost,
1: uh, almost never. I mean, I think if you're once once you have players who have gone through a couple of their like first games. It's less a matter of saying, "Hey, I need you to play in character," and more a matter of reminding the player very occasionally when you feel like, "Is that really what you would do?" Mm-hmm. Ask them, "Why are you doing that?" Mm-hmm. Or you know, may, give give the player a chance, even if the even if the player ends up deciding, "Yeah, actually, this is what my character would do."
4: Mm-hmm. Give
1: the player a chance to develop a motivation for their character that allows for that action rather mm-hmm. than it coming out of nowhere.
3: And sometimes, what I will do when when I think. Of- a um, a character it, when a player is acting out of character or doing something that would just be completely foolish mm. for their mm-hmm. character to do, I'll have them roll a wisdom check or an mm. intelligence check. Yep. Right. <laughs> it, yeah, it's not is, bad. Do you think that your character would be able to think about that? And it, if if they make their intelligence check or their wisdom okay. check, you can offer them a little bit of rules and advice. Yeah. Like your character knows that you'd probably. Not be wise to dive in and stab the crocodile in its leg. Right. Yeah.
2: Occasionally, if- you're going to have to talk a player out of taking a suicidal course of action. They may oh. be dead set against on undoing something, and you just sort of question them about it, and uh, uh, you know, give the other players then that more of an opening to sort of maybe lend their own voices to talking them down. But um, I typically haven't had uh, yeah. too much of a problem to kind of corral players into. And role playing or staying in character.
1: Sometimes I find that players have a tough time taking especially your powerful NPCs seriously. Mm-hmm. Like like, you know, the the parish priest of a large town is a an important person with lots of connections. But depending on your players, they might they might be of a bent to treat that person in a very kind of cavalier way. And it can be easy to give your players kind of a buy and just be like well you've offended the priest but nothing happens but i encourage you you know if if you find that your characters are or that your players are continually sort of not taking your npc seriously remember that like Everyone has friends, everyone has social connections, and if you piss off the you know, the parish priest, even if he's an asshole, if you piss off the parish priest, he can be like, Okay, well, I'm gonna talk to all of my merchant friends and tell them not to sell to you or buy from you. Mm-hmm. Right? Bam. Suddenly you've like there's an in-game reason for you to say your actions have some consequences. And you, and you can't
3: fight your way out of right. that situation. Yeah, exactly.
0: So uh, when you're picking, tell me about the process for picking monsters. Okay.
1: Actually, I'm glad you asked that because we can get back to the stat block a little bit, which we got, which we veered yeah. off of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't I think we might have more than veered off yeah. of it. I,
1: you know, there was, there was a path before us and then there was a hook horror. And so we just dove down we, we that ravine. We hooked
0: a left.
4: Yeah. <laughs> just
1: dove down that ravine. Yeah. Uh, OK, so the, the answer to your question is a little bit further down. So we said hook horror, the type of monster. The next block is armor class, how hard it is to hit. Hit points, how much damage it can take before it dies. Speed, how fast it moves. In this case, the hook horror has a special type of speed. It has a climb speed, mm-hmm. which means that anytime it can move, as long as it's next to a wall, instead of moving like forward, backward, left, or right, it can also move up or down along that wall, and I think also along ceilings the hook horror moves sort of three-dimensionally in a really interesting way that can add a lot to an encounter with a hook horror because, you know, you hit it and it's like, oh, that hurt, and then it just skitters up a wall where you can't reach it and then it drops on you, mm-hmm. um, which is no fun. Uh, then you have its, like, formal kind of, these are its statistics, strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. I'm not going to super go over these. Again, we're assuming that people who have lis- who are listening have, like, read the player's handbook and have a pretty good sense of you know what those stats are
0: but if you haven't it's okay and we love you anyways
3: we really do it should be noted however that this in this edition Mm -hmm. they have the the same stats that a a person would have
1: whereas in in the the, previous editions they have not monsters have not had like a full kind of stat block in the fifth edition book which again is the one that i'm looking at briefly when you look over the hook horror stats a couple things will pop out at you one they're very strong they have a strength of 18. two they're not very smart they have an intelligence of six Mm -hmm. um so so that gives you a bit of a tell as to what these monsters are like they're strong they're brutal you know but they're not necessarily keen thinkers um then we've got skills, which tells you what the hook horror is good at. It has a perception skill, which lets it identify, you know, where people are. It has senses, it has blind sight, and it has dark vision. It can see in the dark out to 10 feet, and it can identify the location of creatures, locations of creatures in the dark. Which out means to it's also 60. really hard,
2: to, you can't really sneak up. Yeah, on it's
1: really things. hard to sneak up on a hook horror. And then <laughs> it lists under languages, hook horror
0: which means that hook horrors have their own language. So they are. St- it says in in my second edition book that they speak in like clickety clacks. Sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like, but that means that, you know, then you can use spells, you know, there's certain spells that will actually allow you to talk to them. It just yep. proves that they actually have a language. They have a
1: language. They have a society. Actually, it, it notes in their description in fifth edition, they have dedicated clans. Like hook horrors are they're social creatures. They're pack hunters. Um,
3: what What would they call humans? Like,
1: Flesh comedies, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. So, soft, That's what I call us. Soft sad. or like, yeah, like, or
3: like, sad hooks.
2: Sad.
1: Look
3: sad, at those no sad hook? little Tragic- hooks you
2: have.
1: No hooks. Soft. No hooks. <laughs> yes. Um.
2: Tiny hooks.
1: Okay, and then the last, the last part of that little stat block is the challenge rating. So mm-hmm. this goes back to exactly what you were asking. How do you know which monsters? to put in your game Mm -hmm. Um, and this is where we're going to kind of wrap all back around to what we were talking about an encounter design earlier so hook horrors have a challenge rating of three and challenge rating is an idea that was brought into Dungeons & Dragons with I think third edition so that book the the advanced Dungeons & Dragons book doesn't have it but third edition and later uh, does and challenge rating is just this idea that someone has gone through and given a, a kind of rough estimate of how hard this monster will be to fight, right? And what a challenge rating of three tells you is that three uh, no four third level adventurers so a, a an average party of four third level adventurers should have a medium challenge fighting the hook core.
3: meaning when you add up all the levels of, of okay. the player characters, you've got a total of twelve levels right okay uh, and so, you should be able to, with 12 levels working as a team, mm-hmm. defeat a, a hook horror, horror without anyone dying. Right.
1: So <laughs> so two sixth-level characters could probably take down a hook horror pretty handily. Okay. And one 12th-level character would have a, 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 an about equivalent chance of taking down one character a hook horror without dying.
3: Mm. Now, I before, think actually
1: a 12th-level yeah. character would mop the floor with a hook yes. horror.
3: Yeah. So before challenge reading came about, in the the book that you're holding, the Monstrous Manual, uh, monsters were rated on their hit dice which is roughly equivalent to their level mm-hmm. um, right. which is a similar, similar kind yeah. of thing but you you would say okay so if, if this is a three hit dice monster then a third level character should be able to defeat it without too much problem
1: mm-hmm. yeah. challenge rating tries to take sort of more of the monster into account like not just how many hit points it has but how much damage does it yeah. do mm-hmm. how hard is it you know for example uh sort of like any type of spectral undead, ghosts, whites, uh help me out, guys, specters, mm-hmm. uh shadows. Revenants. Shadows. The no, no revenants of bodies. White-tonauts. What whites aren't though? Whites aren't, you're right. <sighs> yeah, sure. So yeah. anything uh, basically like any undead that doesn't have a body, anything that's just like sort of a spooky ghost that you would that your hand would pass right through, those monsters have much higher challenge ratings than they would otherwise mm-hmm. because they're very, very hard to hit, right? You can't shoot an arrow at a ghost. The arrow goes right through the, the, your chance to do damage. You need to have magical weapons or some kind of, you know, some kind of special circumstance to even do damage to that monster. Okay. So even though a ghost doesn't have a huge damage output, you know, four third-level characters are going to go up against the ghost, and they're they're just going to get you know slaughtered because because mm-hmm. they're like, I hit you with my sword, and the ghost is like, that's a sword made of metal, and I literally don't care. Yeah,
3: yeah. And that, that that was one thing that Second Edition didn't really do. It didn't account right. for those extenuating circumstances. circumstances. Yeah. So you might have you know all to them all four hit dice creatures were of roughly the same strength, mm-hmm. which. Uh, led to some very unpredictable results mm-hmm. when it came time right. to, to fight. Now,
1: this problem has not totally been solved. There are absolutely monsters that kind of who either have much higher challenge ratings than they maybe mm. deserve, or much lower challenge
2: ratings. I had a friend who—it's not an exact science. It's not an yeah. Exact
0: so science. let's talk specifically about fifth edition. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, like, what are the sort of things to look out for when I'm. If I'm looking at the challenge rating and I'm looking at the stat sheet, what else should I be looking out for for picking the right monster for my characters?
1: Um, so definitely, so part of this is thinking about what your characters can do mm-hmm. and thinking about monsters that are going to present interesting challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, hook horrors have kind of two things that they do that aren't necessarily supernatural, but that are interesting in ways that players might have a tough time with. Firstly, they can operate perfectly fine in the dark, and secondly, they can—meaning uh, they can perceive other characters in the dark. And secondly, they can move along walls and ceilings. Okay. So, if your players are used to fighting fights where you know the guys that they're fighting are always on the ground with them, hook horrors and who and in well lit areas, hook horrors give you some really interesting kind of play. Mm. The players have to figure out a light source. Right, they have to make sure that the that the area is lit, and the hook horrors are smart enough to try to snuff those light sources out. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you light a torch, one of the hook horrors will bat it out of your hand and try yeah. to get it out of the.
3: So, so if you've got um, a party of characters that all have night vision, mm-hmm. or that all have some some kind of right. dark vision, a hook, a hook horror, horror is not going to be the most intimidating. Yeah, less character. gets less scary.
0: I've got an idea. Go for it. Why don't we start with a monster, say? the zombie ogre Uh and start from uh, and just go through the process of seeing particularly that monster since we've been doing Hook Horror for a little bit go through each little thing and see uh, what sort of situations it might be you know and go you know that you guys can tell me like oh since it can do this Mm -hmm. uh, you it would be good in this situation or bad in this situation Mm -hmm. it also happens to be that the monster of the week Week.
4: what's that thing let's have a peek monster Monster of of the week
2: so yeah, so challenge rating 1, Monster, is expected to be, you know, an average challenge for a group of four first level characters.
1: Uh, ogre zombies are a challenge rating of 2.
2: So, a single zombie ogre would be a moderate challenge for your starting group of players. If you were to have your group of players exploring Turtle Mountain and say the first thing they run into is a, is a zombie ogre, that would be a, 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 a rather formidable encounter. Yeah. We're here, throw it, them at the Alexei,
0: pass me the, uh, monster, the monster's, monster's manual. manual. also
3: yeah. take a look at that stat block. Also, a zombie ogre is such a specific mm-hmm. kind of monster that to run into one of those begs a lot of questions. Right, exactly. A, there are ogres around here. B, someone is turning them into zombies. Uh, which means you've got a bigger problem than the zombie ogre because some someone out there created at least one zombie ogre. There mm-hmm. might be more. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a necromancer to worry about.
4: Okay.
2: And this gets into the, what the story of the encounter is and the right. ecology of the game world that you're yeah. creating so, for. I,
3: yeah, I think a zombie ogre is less useful as a standalone random encounter and more, more useful as... An entry point into a mystery.
1: A mystery mm-hmm. about a, a necromancer. So, just to keep people... If you haven't been able to tell from the name, a zombie ogre, or ogre zombie, uh, is an ogre, which is a giant humanoid... Um, about nine or ten feet nine tall. Or ten feet tall. Uh, who has been turned into a zombie. So, somebody found an ogre, killed it, and then turned it into a zombie. Uh, which, you know... Is rude. <laughs> I mean, That's a rude thing to do to but an for, ogre. But for, you that's probably know, a you're, Monday. You're
2: typically frail, easily broken, fragile necromancer having nine feet of, of undead muscle. muscle, of yeah. rippling yeah. undead muscle. Is is makes absolutely perfect sense.
3: Now the, there are there are a couple of things that you know as, as far as plot points that immediately sprout up to me. Right, that somewhere this ogre has a clan. Yep, they're probably not happy with being turned into zombies, zombies. unless they've all been turned into zombies,
1: in which case they don't care anymore. But
3: there, there's a possibility of making friends with the ogres, sure, or yeah. a, a tentative alliance mm. against the necromancer, mm. or uh, this could be a you know some sort of horrible mistake that mm. needs to be put right, and the 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 ogre is cursed somehow and
0: got yeah. kissed by a witch. But there is <laughs> one good
2: one interesting thing about about. Uh, about the undead is, you know, they don't uh, they don't die. They can be locked up inside some crypt or some oh, yeah. sealed off dungeon for hundreds of years. The
1: and zombie the players... ogre could be like thousands of years old. Yes. And it could just be a, a super tragic
3: this like hideous been, time, it,
1: capsule. time capsule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in this time capsule, we've buried newspapers and a zombie ogre.
0: <laughs> Sucker. Have fun.
1: Enjoy reading the newspaper.
4: All
0: okay, right. So just so the zombie ogre's entry is actually relatively short mm-hmm. in the um fifth edition uh monster's manual i don't mm-hmm. know how it is in the other one but um so it has an armor class and hit points and speed all, all well it's those armor are all classes, pretty yeah it's armor pretty class op- is what
4: eight
1: so that's pretty low okay easy to hit. ogres are big zombie ogres are not fast mm-hmm. so big things that aren't fast are going to be easy to hit what mm-hmm. are its hit points
0: its hit points are 85 it's wow. a lot. 90, 10 plus 36, it yeah. says. So wait, wait, wait. Here's a question. Wait. Yeah. What the hell? Okay, so... Is that challenge rating really, too?
1: It is. Wow. So, th- well, we'll we'll see why in a second. So in third edition, they give you two options pretty much anytime you're rolling for hit points. They give you a number that you can just take, which is the average, mm-hmm. or they give you a so this range... this is third or
0: fifth edition, This Sorry. is fifth edition. Okay, I think you just said third. Oh, I meant fifth. Okay. Sorry. Sorry.
1: Uh, no, thank you. Um, so... Or, uh, they so they give you the number, which is the average, mm-hmm. or they give you the range, uh, and you can roll it. So, what's that range 90
0: 10 plus 36.
1: So, 90 10 plus 36 means take nine 10 mm-hmm. sided dice, roll them, and add 36.
0: So, it could be as bad as like a 100- hundred. And 36, if you're really just shit out of luck with your rolling. 126, but yeah. Well, it says 90, 90 oh yeah, 126, sorry, yeah. math. Hmm. Uh, but more likely it's going to be, actually, Alexei.
2: Yeah, do we have...
0: Do you have I'm pretty sure. some D6? I mean, it might take a minute. Yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm curious now because... <laughs>
2: in my bag. But I mean, that's precisely so why I they do this. So do do that list. or do
0: the players do that? Oh,
2: you as I the do GM that. definitely do But that. that's, This
3: is part of your prep for the game.
0: This is what yeah. I'm doing behind that screen, that if, really cool-looking screen. If you want screen. to, but that's precisely
2: doing. why they put an average number there for you, so you don't have to oh. right. an actual so, roll.
1: So, like, do you do you need this quick and dirty monster or do you want to take the
2: time to actually roll it out?
0: Well, right now I want to roll it out because I freaking love rolling dice. So I don't. Then,
2: then, then it is now actually entered the realm as being like a unique monster. So yeah. if it has Ooh. fewer than average, maybe you could describe right. it as being old and decrepit and right. kind of falling oh, apart. Wow, actually
4: or more than gave me average, nine
0: of them.
1: It's dude. I play a lot of like White Wolf games. I own a preposterous <laughs> number of ten sided dice. Like, re- like I-, I, I took stock and it's. It, I have a problem.
0: Okay.
2: And if it has more hit points than average, then maybe it was an Ogre Chieftain or something. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, and right. it's like bedecked in old armor. All right, so... 9d6. Okay. These,
0: are, these aren't These are
1: d6. These are... No. Oh. D10. 9d10. Oh, 9d10. Yes. Oh, 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 okay. I don't have... 10.
0: 52 mm-hmm. plus 36 is 88.
1: Okay. What's so, the average?
0: 85.
1: Yeah, magic- That is shocking. Magically, the law of large numbers works. God, I really and want so- to roll
0: that a bunch more times, but I'm not going to put you, our dear listeners, through that you, you- hellscape. That is my obsession.
3: Interestingly enough, in the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide, mm-hmm. uh, there's an explanation of the averages. Nice. Uh, there's of actually the- a picture of a bell curve.
1: I remember that Thanks D&D for teaching us a bit about statistics I feel
0: like through time They're like wait no you see actually um, uh, The bell curve Uh, No no offense I mean really I do that all the time I am a horrible Explainer of things of which all these Fine young gentlemen can attest to
1: so yeah, so so on average, you're gonna get a number that's real close to the average hit points for I'm, the, the I'm monster. I
0: am just like I'm, I'm tickled. Fair, <laughs> I'm <no. just> tickled. <laughs> Math, it works.
1: Uh, okay, so this is not an especially special zombie ogre, it but it could have been. It's it could have been, and and again. If you want a zombie ogre that's a little bit tougher, sure. right? You I have, can
0: just say you have yeah. that range.
1: You want it to be a hundred hit points? It's an nice round number. Go for it. You know yeah. that that range. What that range will tell you is again. I mean, a zombie ogre that has hundred and twenty six hit points, the maximum mm-hmm. that you could possibly roll if you rolled nine tens on that roll. We have to assume that that zombie ogre is a paragon of both ogresdom and zombie sure. right <laughs> condition. Like, yeah. But, I mean, this is a mid possibly a refurbished zombie ogre. Yeah. That, Somebody that, got that in ogre there like, with needle choice. and thread and like really just like Ew. They, uh-huh. they they like oh um, necromancy. Yeah. Get get good at sewing.
0: So the next part of the stat block is it's listing its um God, what is this called when it's the uh, strength, dex, constitution? Is Statistics say a base, stat, base
3: stats. Base stats, okay, yeah. So Abilities? No, uh, is
1: that not, a thing? Uh, stats. Um, yeah.
0: It, Most people just say stats. So it lists all those, of which I think are pretty, well, you know, it says something like strength, 19 plus 4, so that means it's...
2: That's the bonus. That's right. the bonus. That's,
0: that's the, that's the bonus,
3: bonus to hit and to damage. So if it has 19, then it has a plus 4 damage when it hits you.
0: Okay. Okay.
3: Because it's so strong, when it hits you, Mm -hmm. it automatically does four points of damage no matter how well it hits
0: you. And the other things are like if it's a direct duel, like, oh, if he's going strength to strength against one of my characters?
1: Yeah, or, I mean, you make strength checks for, like, strength saving throws. Mm -hmm. So if you
0: throw throw a
1: boulder at the ogre zombie, the ogre zombie is pretty likely to just, like, be able to, like, catch it or or punch it out of the air. Uh Uh-huh.
0: So it has um, the base stat there, and then it says... What?
1: You've never thrown a boulder at an ogre zombie? That happens? Mm-hmm. It's a thing that you could do. Right.
0: Shut up, you don't know me. You don't um, know me. So then it says saving throws, wisdom, plus zero. Okay. Okay.
2: That just means that when it's.
0: I'm when making you, a face right now. Like, when, wow. when it has
2: to face a will saving throw, which actually I think Undead are already a, the immune most to. to mind affecting things. Mm. Uh, but normally it would just mean that when you roll that d20 for its save, you would add nothing to the roll. Right.
0: Okay. Um, so it says damage, immunities, poison. Mm hmm. So if I were trying to hit him as a character with something that had poison damage, he'd be like, "Whatever, I'm dead." Exactly,
1: wouldn't take I, any damage from um, any type of poisonous
0: condition immunities poisoned. poisoned. So,
1: so a condition is something that a character or NPC can have. Uh, these are these are sort of new. Oh, sorry, um, these are new in fifth edition or more formalized in fifth edition, um, and they're basically like buffs or debuffs that a character has that linger Mm. so being poisoned in the player's handbook at the at the back of the player's handbook it will describe what the poisoned condition actually is and what happens when
2: you are poisoned wow. okay. A lot of the poisons in the game inflict poison damage right. And that's what they're also immune to
1: Right, so so a poison in, in D&D Does poison damage And also inflicts the condition Poisoned right. okay. And that condition, according to the player's handbook Is a poisoned creature has disadvantage On attack rolls and ability checks mm-hmm. So when you're poisoned You feel like crap mm-hmm. And you're not good at hitting things Everything you do is going to be more difficult is, So yeah. you have a hangover I mean, like, a
3: real serious Oh well, yeah.
2: it's that typical yeah. I've just been poisoned.
4: Like, Ugh, guys. Think yeah.
3: I I I I I trying to, oh, trying yeah. to uh, fight your way out of a bar with severe food poisoning. Oh, uh-huh. well, yeah. That's a good... Yeah, it's not fun. Yeah.
0: No. Don't... Yeah. Um, so then it says senses. Um, the ogre zombie has dark vision to 60 feet mm-hmm. and passive perception of 8.
1: So the ogre zombie can see in the dark out to 60 feet, just like mm. as if it was daylight. And even when it's not looking for someone... It passively perceives its environment, so if, mm. if it's doing something, so you can't like,
0: really sneak up on it. No, no, the no.
1: eight is actually really low.
0: Yeah. Mm. Eight so is the
2: difficulty number other players have, have on to, stealth checks. Too.
0: Oh, see, that would not have been obvious to yeah. me.
2: Right. Yeah. So
0: if if they if my player rolls higher than eight, then yeah. Okay. So just to reiterate that for everyone else who might have been confused, passive perception eight in this sense means that. My players, Mm -hmm. if they tried to do a stealth check, Mm -hmm. if they rolled like a nine, they'd be like, in the sweet business. We snuck past
1: that ogre's If they have a dexterity modifier of two plus two Mm -hmm. and they roll a seven, Mm -hmm. that's nine total. They, they beat okay. that
0: eight. Um, and then languages. The ogre zombie understands common and giant, but cannot speak, which right. makes sense. Terrible dental work. Uh, Again, tragic. Tragic. Rude.
1: There's a mind bet. It moans you know, it, giant. Yeah, yeah. It moans in giant. So, and then... It, <laughs>
0: so, then, um, or in common.
1: <laughs> I think a moan in common is just...
0: Right? Yeah, that's more of a wheeze... No, you're right. You're right. Oh
1: man, she just came from my moan. Ugh. I don't even <sighs> Anyway.
0: Hey, I no, all moans I'm teasing. are beautiful. All no, moans that sounds are yeah, That sounds weird. I'm not mo- <laughs> I'm not moan shaming you. Know? <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you. So it says challenge 2 and then in parentheses 450 XP experience right. points. So does mm-hmm. that mean if my characters defeat him, players, yep. do they each get my characters, my players, mm-hmm. do they each get 450 experience points? Nope. They divide it among them, mm-hmm. and do I decide who gets the most, or does it all go equally?
1: That's a really good question. In general, it divides equally. Mm-hmm. But if but one
0: person's like, I meld into stone by yeah, yeah,
1: I mean it's legit <laughs> if one person like really just just sort of like yeah like just pieces out for the encounter, they might did, not get.
0: XP I did that, for that once in a game uh, that Dan and I were playing together. Um, and I was what, well, I was an elf druid, I you think. Were a druid, yeah. Yeah, and they were <laughs> fighting something in a cave, and I I was just super low on hit points, and I was like, I don't. I'm out. And I just, like, melded into stone for the duration. Later Lord. <laughs> yeah. I'm hanging out in the stone. Yes. I'm a rock now. I think I actually oh. got an inspiration point for that as well. Again, I
1: mean, I think there are situations in which having a player duck out of a fight can be really interesting. Yeah. If they have to go do something else, if they have to, like you know, if they're super low on hit points and they have to kind of conserve themselves, mm-hmm. that's actually interesting. If somebody's just like, I don't want to fight this zombie ogre, like I'm going to get a beer, like, yeah. then maybe that, that character doesn't I think get. there was like
0: a thing where like I had one high level spell spot left and mm-hmm. then the mountain to stone was actually lower, but they needed my high level one for later, so uh-huh. and I had lowish hit points. Yeah, sure. So I was like, no. "I'm valuable," and it was a very Ned Flanders into the bush kind of thing. There, there's
3: also something oh, wait, to be uh, said Homer for characters that um, that are cowards. Yeah, there. I, I love having characters that have uh, character flaws. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that, that's that. Is, that really makes the game for me.
2: Um, In a way, though, that's why. As much as I love Dungeons and Dragons, sometimes um, shackling a system to a XP grind that's dependent mm. upon combat mm-hmm. sometimes makes playing characters where combat really isn't their forte a little difficult. Um,
3: yeah, I've, I've been challenged for,
2: to play characters like that.
3: I've had games that I've played where the dungeon master has said, "Oh no, your that stat is too low. You can't have an thought, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, Well, where what's the point of? Yeah, it? Am I supposed I to just be average every... to above average <laughs> all the time?
0: No, I, I've made. I think of almost every character I've made. I've had one stat that was really low, just because I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Well, no, it's always fun.
2: fun. I mean, yeah. like a low charisma character. Someone just doesn't like doesn't like, like people. It's kind of, you know, kind of...
0: Yeah, I think that was my elf. The way 5th
1: edition gets around this Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, now it's not necessary to kill the monster in order to gain the XP. You just have to overcome it, right? So if you get past the ogre or if you, you know, if you send the ogre kind of into a river and it gets washed downstream. Sorry, whoever's downstream.
4: Yeah,
3: if the troll is guarding the bridge and And you you still cross the the bridge, bridge, you get the XP. Mm -hmm. One
1: way... As the GM, you can make decisions like: Do you want to give your players bonus XP if they act heroically, mm-hmm. right? Which is a way of rewarding players who are, you know, who you know ride into battle valiantly, instead of punishing players who are playing their characters who have flaws like cowardly. Mm-hmm. You can also award XP for those players who are playing cowardly characters, right? Mm-hmm. If if you see them like, oh yeah, you're char- you're playing your character. You know, you can give some bonus XP there.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and owing again to the rule of cool, if a player comes up with a cool idea that maybe isn't fully supported by the system or even by their character, like, and it's and if they can pull it off, just right. let yeah. them do it.
1: Which doesn't mean like let your first level character, let your first level players be like, wouldn't it be cool if we could cast a ninth level spell? Sure. It's like, yeah. you
3: know,
0: because well, like not yes, cool. it would. The- Wait a while. It's not actually cool. That's boring. Yeah. There,
3: there was one thing in. Uh, the, the old second uh, second amendment or second uh, <laughs> Different second discussion. edition uh, player or, uh, dungeon master's guide
1: the second mm-hmm. amendment the right the, to owl bear arms yes
3: exactly uh, the uh, in the old dungeon master's guide there was a, an adage don't say no determine difficulty
4: mm, yeah which, which
3: I thought was really useful um, because you're in a world where you want to maintain the illusion that The characters have free will and choice and that it's an open-ended world, Mm -hmm. but you have to maintain your parameters. And And some things are just
1: impossible or so difficult that it's not reasonable for even someone with a one in 20 chance to do it. Right. Right. Mm
3: -hmm. Oh, you want to fly? Okay. Well, flap your arms, uh, roll a strength check. I'll wait.
1: Yeah. The Mm -hmm. DC is 90. Right. Whatever.
0: So there's only a couple more things on here. Right. it lists uh, Undead fortitude, which mm-hmm. is pretty straightforward. But I'll read it here, anyways, as we're going through the whole thing. Um, if damage reduces a zombie to zero hit points, it must make a Constitution saving throw uh, with a DC of five plus the damage taken. Unless the damage is radiant or from a critical hit, on a success, the zombie drip, drips drops to one hit point instead. So that's relatively clear for like, guess like, as far as like, it's not outside of what might happen outside of a care player handbook or something. Yeah, I
1: mean that, so that, what that tells you is the zombie ogre might have what 85 hit points, mm-hmm. but even if you get it down to zero hit points, there's a special condition to kill it, mm-hmm. right? You can't just hack it to pieces. You have to do enough damage that it fails that constitution save or critical hit mm-hmm. or radiant damage mm-hmm. to really get it down. Otherwise it just, keeps shambling forward
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last thing is actions which Mm is it says morning star melee weapon attack and then it gives some stats for that Um, that's what the monster can do in combat so does it just usually have a morning star yeah, basically. I mean, okay. but you could decide
1: that that's a different weapon. You yeah. could And decide then just use the
0: stats from for, whatever other weapon. Sure. Or
1: even just make it a cosmetic change, yeah. right? Yeah. Like a morning star, a, a zombie ogre with a giant morning star and a zombie ogre with a giant scimitar. Spoon.
0: And just have it be the I'm same like, hit points.
1: Where did he get that giant <laughs> spoon? <Yeah.
0: laughs> it was a whole colony of... Um, uh, Hopeful chef ogres, and they were living sort of together on a reality show. It was like it was like Top Chef, but for ogres. And then you know they all killed each other and sort of zombie died.
4: Um,
0: Dan,
1: I am stealing that clan of ogre chefs.
0: Yes. (laughs) Uh, Would you like to spin the wheel of monsters?
3: Oh, I'd love to.
0: The monster of the week is. The mimic. No, the mimic. No. The. He's <laughs> the m- uh, making a super excited face right now.
1: D and D's greatest fuck you to players. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Have we talked about mimics before? We, and we, we won't until episode uh, seven. We, <laughs>
2: yeah. we we made mention of them when we talked about the gelatinous cube. One That's of right. The other class of fuck you monsters. Oh, fuck
1: you monsters. Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay. okay. Let's let us get into it <laughs> along with <laughs> the rust monster. Yeah,
2: uh, rust monster is also bad. <laughs> Trappers. <laughs> Trappers, lurkers above, and lurkers above. Too.
1: Cloakers. Oh man, there's nothing worse than a cloaker. You're like, you're like, I'm going out. Oh no, I have to fight my coat. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. They hang out on coat racks. Literally, that's the thing that cloakers do. They hang out on coat racks.
0: So Dan, you're our special guest this week. Ah, Will you uh, tell us a little bit about the Interdimensional Travel Agency?
3: Oh yes, the Random Encounters Meta Dimensional Travel Agency. Yeah, that one. Uh, well, I am a dungeon master for hire um, in mostly in the Bay Area, but uh, have dice, will travel. Um, I enjoy telling stories, and I know that it can be really time-consuming and difficult to put together a uh, Dungeons & Dragons campaign as an adult. Um, which you are uh, finding out rapidly.
0: I think most of the, you know, I don't think very many DMs have a problem with audio post. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like 99% of my problems of becoming a DM right now. Mm -hmm.
3: So um, I got into Dungeons & Dragons a little bit later than most of my friends who had been Mm -hmm. playing it since they were 10 or 11 years old. I was 18 when I first played D&D and... I was already involved in performance and art and all that stuff. And it just seemed like another medium for storytelling and performance.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
3: so I've actually dungeon mastered a lot more than I've played. Huh. Um, I think
0: that might be the same for Alexei and Chris a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
2: pretty much.
3: Yeah. I'm about 50-50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the time I got into Dungeons & Dragons, most of my friends were just kind of over mm-hmm. putting together a campaign. hmm uh, so I jumped in, and I was always willing to do it. So I got a lot of uh, a lot of hours behind the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I do is um, I will custom make uh, individual games or campaigns for groups. I have one coming up next week that is uh, a father and his teenage daughter and uh, the father's girlfriend. Um, they want to have a quiet night where they're they're still having fun and not just watching TV. Um, so this seems like a good way to have a a sort of guided hallucination without the hangover. The best way.
0: Wait, I just I just had a memory. I think, and I it's the picture thing, right? The, you, the picture that the, happens
1: in your head of something that's happened before. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah.
0: Don't you have a song kind of about D and D? Uh, I, I mean, all your songs are a little storytelling-ish.
3: Um, I mean, I do have some songs that are specifically about my D&D games.
0: Can, can you tell us which songs those are? I, I'll put them in later. Oh,
3: sure. Um, there's A Rose Adore, which is about my uh, Dark Tower-inspired campaign that went on for nine years. Mm. Um, there's The Shadow Under Kalfaras Bay. Which is uh, an alternate ending to *Lord of the Rings*.
0: So, are these Hobo Goblin songs?
3: Uh, yeah, those are both Hobo Goblin songs. Okay. Um, and I guess, I guess, Bone Dagger is sort of based on. It's D&D.
0: yeah, it's um, it is a dagger made of bone. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, and that's
0: Bobby Joe Ebola in the children's. That's Nuggets. Bobby Joe
3: Ebola. It actually the video one. An award for best metal video from a non-metal band.
0: I think we might have to do it's a very specific. We're going to have to outro yeah, this big. this uh, episode with with some,
1: uh, with some yeah. yeah with
0: Bone Dagger Definitely. maybe. Fair enough. <laughs> um, Let's see. How do you feel like the that DMing has affected other creative parts of your life?
3: Um, well, I am. Uh, I've been teaching the last uh, year or two, and mm. I find that I'm using a lot of those skills of directing the adventure as it were. What age? Uh, high school.
1: Okay. It's so true. I also teach high school, and I think of my students as players, and I think of my classroom as like, I think of my curriculum as a game.
3: Right, and and only only an hour-long session? Oh, no problem. <laughs> <All right. Yeah. laughs> um... Uh, I find that it's made me better at, um, thinking about longer story arcs because I've, I've done campaigns that have gone on for, you know, a decade, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's made me a lot better at, uh, doing longer form kinds of art.
0: Oh, and I have to tell Mm y'all, so... Dan and I used to work for Burning Man. I mean, we kind of still do. And for anybody who doesn't know what Burning Man is, who might be listening, it's a very large festival that happens out in the middle of nowhere on this huge dry lake bed in Nevada. Um, And when you work for Burning Man, you communicate over these uh, handheld radios, these very, very strong, um, like private band handheld radios, uh, because the whole event is a few miles wide. Uh, and Dan a few times has been a dungeon master over the radio.
2: Oh man, I've been wanting to run a LARP at at, at Burning Man for years. Oh,
0: it's so good. So, but like the the crazy thing is is that there's no exact players cuz the radio goes out. We would be he'd be doing it on the off-duty channel mm-hmm. and that's going out to about 300 people. <laughs> and so sometimes someone in the same car you're driving around in uh, in this like dusty nighttime would respond. And sometimes it'd be some random person like just hopping on the radio with, you know, in the background. Oh, super drunk. (laughs) Oh, yes. On alcohol. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, do you, do you remember any particular things that were like of note?
3: Um, I, During all that? Well, I do remember that um, we were riding around in a limousine right. through the desert, and we, were, uh, we chased after a, um, a young lad who, it was his first year, and you could sort of tell it was his first year. We picked him up and threw him in the limo and handed him a beer, and he didn't know that we all had radios. Oh, my
0: God, that's right. And
3: the the driver was speaking in a, um, you know, a high pitched wizardly voice um, and would occasionally speak up uh, over the radio. And it would be in surround sound around this kid Mm. who was just overwhelmed that uh, the walls seemed to know his very thoughts. Uh, And we we just kept sort of Messing with him gently
0: Yeah it also was I mean the limo Was huge right so Mm -hmm. I think Dan might have even been in the front Seat or you know like so the front Seats might as well be a mile away, you know 12 feet away or something but it's dark and there's probably 30 people crammed into this limousine Going five miles an hour anyways I'm not going to get into the Burning Man stories (laughs) But uh, you You can bring Being a DM anywhere On almost any medium. That is true. Mm -hmm. I actually...
1: uh, I spent some time living in London uh, at a hostel. And uh, after a while, got really homesick. And was especially homesick for playing role-playing games. And ended up roping a bunch of other people that I was living in the hostel with uh, into playing uh, I think that was actually an Unknown Armies game with me so I ended up playing this this off the cuff Unknown Armies game with a bunch of Australian kids hmm. who were all like yeah we kind of know what d d is but we're bored and we'll definitely play this like modern occult horror role playing game with you, <laughs> wow. you know, I, it was fun
3: there's a uh, festival that happens out in the woods that I used to frequent <laughs> anyway this festival is way out in the woods and uh, my friend and I decided that we were going to to do a 24-hour game, uh, trading off, mm. um, but he got injured the night before um, playing a show, and so it was left to me the next morning to run this Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> game that people would just show up and without making a character, they'd say, "I want to play it," and say, like, "Okay, you're a unicorn, mm-hmm. or you're you're a hobbit thief," mm-hmm. you know, and they would all sit down and try and play. Uh, and because of the short attention span of festival life, people would get up after a while and go and do whatever. cycle
1: out. Yeah. yeah, and so
3: I ended up running a game for 12 hours by myself. <laughs> um, and we had a revolving cast of maybe 20 people, but it was just great fun. Yeah. Um, and there, there was no paper at all, and I think I had four dice. Yeah. Uh, well...
0: I think we kind of have it wrapped up for yeah. the Monsters episode. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more monsters in your Monsters handbook. M- um, manual. Really quickly, what there's a second book called The Volo's Guide to Monsters. So that's right. a fifth edition mm-hmm. thing, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So what's the difference between that and the Monsters manual?
3: So uh, this has uh, less monsters, but more information. Right. Uh, hmm. this, this has... More specific information about how the monsters will behave, where they they fit into their lifestyle. So you'll have there's a whole table of flaws that orcs have, Um, and orcs are people too. They're flawed,
0: yeah,
4: Yeah. just like
3: the rest of us. You might think orcs are perfect, but really they might too. Yeah, but no, they're flawed. Pride is one of the
2: flaws. Actually, you will not be capable of reading that book and not be inspired.
3: Yeah, so you can you if you want to bring orcs into your game on a more than just a random monster
0: right. mm-hmm. and and you want to mm-hmm. get into their well, feelings.
3: Right. There, so there's an there's an orc village nearby the adventurers. Okay. What do they want? What mm-hmm. what are they what are they eating? What's their economy like? Yeah. Do, are they all just murdering savages or is there something more going on?
0: Dan, do you have any uh, parting words of advice or wisdom for someone who is rapidly drawing near to starting her first campaign as a dungeon master.
3: Tick, tick, tick. Yeah. <laughs> <No pressure>. um, <laughs> I, I would say that all, all these books are nice. Um, but ultimately it's, it's about creating a story that you're happy with that you keep telling to yourself in your head and that you can't wait to share with your players, um, because that, that excitement is going to be infectious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and w- when you have a story that you've been working out in your head, uh, you're filling in a lot more details than you're telling the mm-hmm. players, and they're, they're going to feel like they've immersed themselves into something totally strange and wonderful, and it's all part of your head, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. kind of cool.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate you coming in and being our guest this week. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm Meredith SK. Uh,
1: I'm Alexei Othan and Gerard. And I'm Chris Hockabout.
0: You can find us at DMcast.net and any of your favorite podcast listening stations. Uh, You can
1: tweet us at CPDMcast.
0: And if you want to write us, that is email us. You can write in at admin at dmcast.net. We're also on Reddit and Facebook. You can basically find us anywhere. Yeah,
1: we're we're pretty much everywhere at this point. Yeah. Uh, like a like a multi-tentacular horror yeah. slowly spreading across the land.
0: As always, thanks again to uh the mu- <clears throat> Thanks again to Dr. Popular and Aaron Jay who provide music for the episode. You can reach Doc Pop at Doc Pop at bandcamp.com and Aaron J. Shea at Aaron J. Shea dot net. And we'll see you in two weeks. Homework. Holy shit.
1: Holy shit. Uh, you thought I forgot, but yes, no, I did. I'm did. i a high school teacher. Um, <laughs> uh, so next week, I think we're going to talk about uh, scenes. So we're going to set up the first few, three or four scenes of uh, the Mystery of Turtle it's Mountain. It's getting real. Yeah, so start thinking about what This fantasy you want. is getting real. This fantasy is getting <gasps> as real as it can get. Okay, Don't we're going to set that.
0: up the first few scenes. Oh, yeah. So my... So
1: first few scenes. So think about <clears throat> the first four scenes. Okay. Uh, you know, where are the players? What happens? And what kind of decisions can the players make that will change things? Um, How,
0: like, branched off should this be? Um,
1: Give it, like... Don't do, not do like, binary branches for everything. Mm-hmm. Just give yourself a couple of options.
0: Okay. Maybe like, I'll draw this out and we can put it on our website. I think that's a great idea. All right. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, and... Oh, okay. And then we're going to do the map.
0: Coming in September, we're going to be doing a video blog or a live stream, depending on what our technology is. <laughs> um, and Alexei and Chris and I are going to be drawing the map for Turtle Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll... They'll be teaching me how to draw a good map for a scene that you'll be around a lot in, and we'll be then publishing the PDF of that map on our website so that other people can, you guys, can enjoy it as well.
2: Yeah. Everyone likes art, drawing pictures. Yeah.
0: Picture drawings. Dungeon Picture maps. drawings. Art things. Okay.
1: This is Carpe Dm. Make your game. We'll see you in two weeks, everybody. Bye.
0: <laughs> Thank
2: you for listening.